Good evening. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Uh, Chris normally is uh, co-hosting the show with me. He will not be today. He'll be back tomorrow. He's fine. I know you'll ask anyway, but he's fine. Um, so uh, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. We had a really, last, uh, last night we had a really good conversation with Mayor Mitchell um, about all of the positive things that have been happening on the New Bedford waterfront um, over, you know, over the last years and, and, and the years to come. And, you know, what I thought was interesting about that conversation was, um, you know, he said it's very much competition that New Bedford is in competition with, with, uh, you know, similarly situated port cities like Warwick, Rhode Island, right? Um, and maybe off the coast of some off the coast of Connecticut and et cetera. And that, you never hear really an elected official talk about it that way with, you know, talk about, especially in the municipal level, talk about other municipalities that way that, you know, usually it's all, uh, we've got to collaborate on this. We've got to collaborate on that. But he said, you know, no, we've got to beat these. We've got to beat these other towns to the punch. And he thinks, he thinks that we're, um, we're well suited to do that in the offshore wind area. The, um, uh, at, so at uh, and I appreciate the nice words he had to say at, uh, on Tim's uh, on Tim's show about Chris and me and I I um you know you can always catch him uh, at um, on Tim's show at eleven every week uh, and you can call him and ask him questions but I thought it was and so did Chris I thought it was important to get him on uh, our program for the first week of South Coast tonight you know the first um. You know, our inaugural week, the first time we've had late night talk radio or at least evening talk radio in uh, that's locally based here at WBSM in about 30 years. Uh, so uh, I'm glad he took the opportunity to come on and we'll look forward to talking with him uh, in the future. We'll, of course, be taking your calls at 508-996-0500 and you can uh, also go to the uh, app chat on the WBSM app and send us a message. We got... We've gotten uh, quite a few messages in the last few days on the on the app chat. Some of it was, you know, breaking news. Some of it was helping us out on information we might not have known, like uh, whether or not Phil Collins is still alive. He is, by the way, still alive, um, at least according to somebody in the app chat. I took their word for it. And, uh, yeah, and we'll be taking your calls, of course. Tonight, we have Will Senat of the New Bedford Light now I've had Will on before my old show. Uh, he's a good reporter um, at New Bedford Light and ProPub, uh, and he worked with New Bedford Light and ProPublica. To um, you know, I think Jack Spillane said on Tim's show for nine months, uh, worked on nine, for for nine months with New Bedford Light and ProPublica to release this. I mean, what I'd categorize as devastating, uh, devastating report on like the foreign capital and private equities um, profiteering of our local fishing industry, you know, at the expense of the local, uh, the local fishermen, you know, um, they talked about in the beginning of the hour, how the captain was making 14 cents and, uh, you know, 14 cents, uh, per pound while the rest of the crew is making seven cents each per pound on a two uh, two dollar and twenty eight uh, two dollar and twenty eight cent per pound uh, catch 
right? And so, you know, he's saying, how am I bringing in whatever it is, 50,000 pounds of uh, catch and I'm not sure how I'm feeding my kids. Um, so I'm it really, I mean, it, it's a really, really, it's great reporting. It's a really good story, albeit uh, <laughs> disheartening, I think reveals a lot about what's happening there and is kind of, it's indicative of what's happening everywhere and what's, what's happened everywhere across the country in every industry. God, over the last probably half century, you know, I would say the, you know, the unmooring of the, you know, unmooring of the uh, corporate uh, accountability to its workers has been happening, you know, was really accelerated during uh, and empowered during the Reagan administration in the 80s. And to that end, actually, um, you know, I've, the, the column's not up yet, but I I did finish it and I'm going to send it in uh, tomorrow. So hopefully it's out um, you know, tomorrow by the end of the week uh, about the fishing strike of 1986, uh, 1985 to 86. And December of 85 ended uh, in February of 86. And it ended devastatingly uh, for the union fishing workers. Uh, uh, it, it was the last time that there were union fishing workers uh, in the port of New Bedford uh, in 1986. They weren't the contracts were up. They weren't. They didn't get new contracts. They collectively bargained, but unfortunately, that didn't, that didn't come to. After an unsuccessful strike in 1981, with um, you know, with the boat owners, in 1985, when they uh, when they went on strike again, you know, they weren't successful, and that was basically it. That was the end of unionized work, on, on the. Uh, on the docks and it's underpinned i think by you know obviously um like all of that anti-union rhetoric and mobilization in the 1980s of course reagan with the patco strike right when he fired the uh air air traffic uh controllers uh when they went on strike uh, that empowered a lot of corporations to um then start union busing that's why union membership has winnowed down you know and there's of course they had help from the supreme court there's decisions like janice that came out a few years ago um that's basically made collective bargaining really difficult and you know we're seeing that we're seeing that with what's happened you know the report in the bedford light by will Senat, right we're also seeing the reporting that Anastasia Lennon's done on the scallop leasing and how the fishermen uh in the 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 the, the workers, the working class members of the seafood industry uh, on the port are opposed to it. Fear it's going to lead to consolidation of industry. Um, but it's difficult because there isn't an organized force for collective bargaining. So they're not able to, I don't think, effectively make their, you know, make their voice heard without collective action. And there's a lot of reasons, like I said, that that, that strike didn't go through some of it was that there wasn't a lot of solidarity right there were boats that left the port during the strike you know that you know they were the fisher the the strikers tried to stop it they were throwing rocks at the boats and things like that but there were boats that left the ports you know with staffed with non-union fisher uh, uh fishermen and uh you know there was just some uh, based on how sectarian the, the fishing industry was back then as well. 
uh, it was difficult to coalesce a strong union. And in fact, a uh, city councilor at the time, uh, Williford, had said, you know, if you guys don't stick together, uh, you might as well hang it up. And that ended up being very prescient of him because uh, that's essentially what happened. And it's leading to problems like this. You know, you we're seeing a lot of dissatisfaction with uh, in local labor with their employers. We're seeing, you know, I've talked about this on my old show. I've written about it on WBSM.com. We're seeing a lot of uh, mobilization of, of organized labor. Steel workers over in the south end on Rodney French Boulevard, uh, they've been, um, you know, they, they went on strike for 14 weeks uh, to get what they wanted. They eventually got what they wanted, you know, but uh, the, you know, the multinational or uh, international steel company, it was a, it was a, it was a national strike, right? It was a national strike uh, across from like here to the Midwest. I forget how many other plants, but there were a couple thousand uh, striking workers, but New Bedford was one of them. And, uh, you know, they were, they were able to get what they wanted, but the, they held, they had to hold out for, for 14 weeks. You know, you saw the MNA, uh, mass nurses association strike with St. Luke's, right. Um, you saw demonstrations by the, um, the paraprofessionals, the, the paraprofessionals, um, uh, employed by New Bedford public schools. They were able to get, uh, a, a better deal um, from the Bedford Public Schools uh, as well. So you're seeing, like I said, a lot of labor, local labor dissatisfaction, but the times where it's successful and it's, you know, it's pretty successful. It's not completely, you know, it's, it's, it's not as successful as it could be. It's because there's an organized labor force. There isn't one on the on the there isn't one on the port of New Bedford. And there hasn't been for thirty years, and that's because they were effectively able to bust the unions. You know, there was I got all this information on the eighty six fishing trip. By the way, I should mention from the New Bedford uh, Fishing Heritage Center. And if you haven't went down there, uh, they have a they have online resources that are pretty cool. Uh, I was listening to some old, you know, when I was looking up stuff for the, uh, the 86 fishing strike, I was, um, I was, you know, you heard Mayor John Bullard talking about how the industry at the time was losing a million dollars a day. You heard the uh, comments from the um, president of the, of the, uh, the, the seafood workers union at the time. Um, You know, there was. Uh, there was a old news reports. People were picketing out outside of the Warfinger building over um, over on Pier Three. Uh, they they that's where all the that's where the city sponsored seafood auction was was happening, and uh, they were basically ripping out the uh, you know the the union ripped out the wires, basically rip, rip, pulled the electricity from the Warfinger building so that they couldn't have auctions in there. They said you can go in and you know do your auction, but there was no there was virtually no electricity there. So they actually weren't able to, the clock was broken. The phone lines were cut and that's where the city had their sponsored, the city sponsored, um, uh, auction and the union used to do the auction. You know, it used to be held jointly, uh, with the union. And I don't know if you've seen the recent news about the Warfinger building. It's now a coffee shop, right? Mirasols is there. It's now a coffee shop. Um, you know, the, they eventually went to private auction afterwards. But uh, go check out the Fishing Heritage Center. I was able to get a lot of resources from them uh, online and, and in person. In person's really cool. Uh, 
doesn't take up a lot of your time, I think, to go check it out. Uh, and there's all kinds of cool testimonials. Like uh, there's comments from, you know, you can use your phone to scan uh, these barcodes. You can get these oral testimonials. So you might want to bring headphones in, uh, actually, if you're interested in listening to what people have to say uh, in the exhibits. You can... Um, you can put your headphones in and you can use your phone to scan the, um, the, the, the barcode there and you can hear testimonials like, uh, Jose Salar, you know, the late, um, local union organizer, Jose Salar had comments. Uh, mayor Scott Lang was talking about it. Um, and you know, he was basically, um, saying, you know, they had rights, they had jobs, they loved those jobs, uh, you know, back then when there were over 700 seafood workers, uh, over on the docks it, and and there's other, you know, there's other comments from people who are, you know, uh, immigrant fishing workers who came here uh, and the like. It's a really cool place. I, I would encourage you to check it out. It's downtown on Bethel Street. So that's near um, basically right across the street from the Standard Times building or whatever bank it is now. Right. It's basically right, right across the street from that. I think it's um, I think it's a cool place. That's where I got a lot of that information on. Again, I wrote the column today, so it'll be out tomorrow. But I wanted to talk about it ahead of my interview with Will Senot at um, at 8 p.m. tonight because I think a lot of the things, if you haven't read the article, uh, I'd encourage you to. But we're going to talk about a lot of the, you know, what his findings and how, you know, he got the background on it and all of that. And I think a lot of the stuff that he is going to you know, reveal if you haven't heard it yet or, you know, a lot of stuff we're going to talk about might um might be surprising and and I think uh depending on you know how you feel about these certain types of things uh, it might be dispiriting honestly so 508-996-0500 we're also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat got a lot of messages over the last uh, couple of days you know if you go on the uh, if you go on the app and you just uh you can use the message to talk to the hosts uh, you know, we get a lot of them throughout the day. And if, you know, if, you know, Chris, Chris and I were saying last night, if they're, if they're mean, but they're creative or funny, I'll read them. If they're just mean, you know, if they're mean and not creative, they're mean and boring, I'm not going to read them. If they're mean and creative, I'll read them. If they're nice, I'll definitely read them. Right. And if they tell me something I don't know, I will read them. Um... Uh, or if you just want to say hi, I'll read that too. So send me a message on the app chat. Uh, give me a call at 508-996-0500. I'm going to take a break now and I'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris and Marcus. Chris uh, will be back tomorrow. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. Uh, normally joined by Chris. He's not here tonight. He'll be back tomorrow. Um, 508-996-0500 is how you can get in. We're also taking your messages on the WBSM uh, app chat. I've been getting, we got a lot of app chats over the last few days. I'm looking forward to reading what you guys have to say tonight. Uh, if it's, oh, actually, let's go to the phones. Hey, good, good afternoon. Thanks for holding. Thank you, Marcus. Am I on? Yep, you're on. Well, you talk about labor and, uh, the role of the government, and the government is anti-labor. Even the Democrats That's don't do true. what's necessary to protect uh, the labor, the, the working person. You take a look at what's happening right now. 
you have all this inflation, and the inflation is basically caused by Putin and the war in I, the war in uh, the war that he's he's initiated, and the uh, cutback in oil that Europe is experiencing and the world is experiencing. Right now, what is the solution? For that's that, so you have the cause of the major cause of inflation is the rising price of oil and the supply chain problems. Yeah, and the uh, the food the food problems that uh, are being experienced as a result of Russia. So yeah, and what, the pandemic and all of that. A lot of that stuff broke down. Has been breaking down for a little bit, for sure. What, what is the solution? that the government is 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 engineering they're raising interest rates now how is raising interest rates how is raising interest rates going to stop the oil inflation the food inflation and the uh, and and the crisis that, that we're experiencing it's it's not going right. to it's basically going to the, the it's basically going to hurt the workers and cause unemployment, and in the hopes that they're going to drive less, or heat their house less, or eat less food, it's like it's like having a toothache and going to a foot doctor. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I wish Chris were here for that. He, he be, he's much more um, he's much better at that uh, at at um, talking about this kind of stuff than I am. I do agree with you that, you know, over time, over the last half century, that the government, in particular the federal government, has not been kind to organized labor, to include Democrats. Democrats are just marginally better than Republicans um, on issues of, of organized labor or labor in general. But yeah, no, we've definitely been moving in that direction for some time. Again, I, I'd say it starts, I'd say it, start, it started to accelerate under the Reagan administration on the PACO strike. Definitely. Now, what is the Fed trying to do? The Fed, the Fed regulates the money supply. For the past eight years, the Fed's policy was something called quantitative easing. Yeah. Which basically meant that they were supporting, they were pumping money into corporations. They were buying stocks on the stock market, causing the stock market to soar to un, 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 unbelievable heights. Right. And when Jerome Powell wanted to cut back the, the quantitative easing, Trump had, had, went, went crazy. And he said he, wasn't gonna, he was going to fire him and put somebody else in that would be more agreeable to keep pumping money into the economy. Right. So it, 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 the whole thing, a, a gigantic bubble was created by the Fed, had nothing to do with workers' wages. Right. And uh, wages, and I believe. Biden is getting the blame for the whole thing. It, 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 the whole thing is just. Yeah, we're. we're, we're, uh, we're um, wages, I believe, went down or at least stagnated. I, I think they went down under Trump. They at least stagnated like workers' wages. Uh, I don't think. And you're right. Yeah, it's. 
it's like you said, it's it's so cyclical, the the you know, economic trends and all of that. And it's like it's easy to say, oh, the guy I don't like's in office, so everything bad that happens his is his fault, right? But you know, right. every, everything we're always leading on a path this we're always leading on a path to somewhere, right? This is right. We, we're not just like it's not like someone comes in and like you flip a switch, it's like, okay, this is my economy now. Like some some things happened before, right? Some things that happened before, and they're too big to have just happened now, right? You've got to these things happen over time. So yeah, you know, back, I, I agree. Back in the fifties, when Truman was president, the steel companies were raising raising prices and causing inflation. Right. And he was going to nationalize. He was going to. He was going to impose restrictions on the steel companies. And I think that's something that Biden should look into. The oil companies are putting their foot on the brakes of the oil supply. They refuse to 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 increase refining capacity. Yeah, they're making they're making profit. They're making hand over fist profits. Right. Yeah, they, they want to they want to drive up the price of oil because yeah. they it's. it's Cost pennies to drill for oil, and they're making a ton of money yeah. on the rising price of oil. And if Biden wanted to stop the inflation, he could he could push the oil. He was impose some restrictions on the oil companies if they don't increase their c- capacity. He could raise taxes on them. Yeah, all he did was uh, send out a social media post saying, "Hey." Knock it off. <laughs> you know, that's all he did with respect to trying to rein that in. And I know the Congress, the, the House Democrats passed something, I believe, uh, all the, the entire Republican caucus basically voted against. The House Democrats voted uh, passed an, like an anti-gouging bill, anti-price gouging bill for oil companies. But I believe it's languishing in the Senate. Languishing so, in the Senate. Thank like everything you, else is. Mitch McConnell. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it, it's, just in, it's just incredible. But the... All you hear on the news is everybody's blaming Biden. Yeah, well, for the inflation, and it, 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 it's just—it's ridiculous. I know. Biden I agree. had absolutely very little to do with the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you could see. Like, I remember even the GOP was sharing a line graph of the, like to try to like own Biden. They shared a line graph of the uh, of inflation. This is Biden starts here. I'm like, oh well, it looks looks like a, it, like they even even in their own graph shows. An inflation that uh, is starting, you can see the incline before he's become before he assumes office. So it's like, well, where does it like whose fault is it then? You know, like where does it if it's if it's already on an incline under Biden, it's fair to say that that was a, a trend that at least predated him. Now you can say, oh well, he added it to it this way, he added it to it that way, sure, but it's not like oh there was you know Biden came and all of a sudden there's inflation. That's it's just I think it's a poor understanding of. Of, of how things work. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. The The phone lines are, are, are blowing up. So thank you. Appreciate it. 508-996-0500 so you can get in the program. Hey, uh, good after, uh, Good evening. Sorry. Thanks for holding. Good evening, Marcus. How's it going? You know, well, it's uh, still warm out there. You know, I'm trying to keep cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, hit, history repeats itself. Um, what's happening uh, to us in, in our state here is no different than uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, if it, the Romans uh, overextended their military so much so to the far reaches of the empire, to the frontier, 
And uh, the uh, the other problem that they had was that the uh, the, over, the overspending, out right. of control spending, that led rapidly led to inflation, and it created both civil and political unrest. And we know what happened when the Romans uh, were breached by the Visigoths, and that's where we are because uh, it all started. The economy started started to really. Uh, I would say uh, the United States as, as we knew it, uh, when Richard Nixon took office in 1970, uh, there was the Brentwood Agreements where he took uh, the uh, U.S. dollar off the gold standard, and it was uh, backed by uh, by crude oil. And right. uh, it's been on a downward trajectory. Every uh, every administration has spent and spent and spent and spent, and uh, at some point. It's going to collapse, just like ancient right. Rome. Yeah, actually, I think um, I think even there was like a there was a thing when Trump was on his way out of office. They were telling him to, they were asking him to uh, cross the Rubicon, right? And that's what uh, that's what Julius Caesar did to um, to you know that was like the the nail in the coffin of the um, of the Roman Empire. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Just how you can get in the program. Hey, good evening. Thanks for holding. Hey, good evening, Marcus. Hey, Chuck. How's it going? I'm hanging in, you know. Good. First off, congratulations to you and Chris. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's going to be one hell of a show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, you the previous caller was talking about the Fed and interest rates and all that. Let's go a little bit further. Okay. Um, there's two parts of the actions that the Fed took. One was, and this started with the mortgage crisis. Right. So we're talking about over 12 years ago now, more like 15 years ago now. And it's worth noting, the Federal Reserve didn't see it coming. Right. Wall Street didn't see it coming. They didn't have a clue. Or they saw it coming and they didn't care. Oh, they didn't care, yeah. <laughs> well, remember, Bernie Madoff at one point had been president of the NASDAQ. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't make yeah. this stuff up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, So quantitative easing was the lowering of the interest rates. Right. They consciously took a bunch of people, and I've said this many times, and I will continue to say it many times. It tells me so much about this nation that it gets no traction. It took the group of people, bank depositors, and raped you. Yeah. Took the, uh, whether you had a bank account, a CD, a money market, they just raped you, took away all your income to the benefit of others. Right. Now, since when do we lend our capital out and we get nothing for it? First off, that's not capitalism. We don't have capitalism in the United States. We, the Federal Reserve has propped up the system. Oh, and it's worth noting, the other day I got a, my bank statement, and I was curious to see with the interest rates going up, were any of my accounts going up? You can guess the answer. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. no. Of course you not. Know, I'm going to say something really harsh, but I need to say it. You know, apparently a banker passed away in the last few days. And all the politicians and the media were praising him. He's so civic-minded. Well, what about the people who were cheated? Or are we simply unimportant? I don't know if it applied to that particular... I don't know if that... 
I don't know about that. I didn't know. I don't know if that applied to that particular person. But well, their institution does the same thing that all the other institutions do. So Fair they enough. were willing to take our income away from it. Yes. Do you know? Don't stop the. Oh, they are so civic-minded because they advertise. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, they cheated us. And the fact that nobody cares about us tells me, well, we must be a Christian nation. I, I don't care if some Yahoo who doesn't like that. But the second part of this uh, thing the Fed did was beyond the quantitative easing, which was lowering interest rates, was buying up corporate debt. Yeah, of in course. The, in the... Twelve years since the mortgage crisis, I would estimate they bought up ten, at least ten trillion dollars of corporate debt. Right now, ten trillion dollars is a lot of money. But then during the pandemic, they bought up another nine trillion dollars of corporate debt. So we're talking about twenty. No wonder for a long time. Forgive me for railing, but I'm so disgusted. It's fine. Um, no wonder the economy looks so good. They had pumped $20 trillion into the Wall Street economy. Yeah, I mean, that's how it goes, right? They raid the coffers. The economy does an oopsie for a little bit. They're still making money, you know, and it's all cyclical, you know. It's like the end of the, that movie, The Big Short, where Steve yeah. Carell's character, like, finally realizes, like, oh, they knew the whole time and they just didn't care. You know, it was the at the end where when he, um, you know, when he cashes, he, I mean, he cashes in on the, because uh, he, he shorts the housing market. Right. But, but then at the end he goes, Oh my God! Like he was, he was like, "Oh my God!" They didn't care the whole time. They didn't care, you know. And they're gonna, you know, they're gonna blame immigrants and poor people, and you know. Well, you're gonna look at the model in the Reagan era of the movie Wall Street. Yeah, it was a perfect model yeah. of it. Greed is good. Gordon Gecko, right? Gordon Gecko, yeah. Michael Douglas. Yeah. Um, another thing the Federal Reserve did was, you know, for capitalism to work. People who know what they're doing are the winners, and the losers are going to pay the price. We bailed out the losers. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is for capitalism to work. They just have to be the winners the whole time. That's what. That's the whole point of that's yeah, the whole point of it. They, they're just the winners the whole time. Yeah. It's not about know, competition. We think they're yeah. brilliant. No, they're not brilliant. The system is rigged for them. Yeah. And one last thought, if I may. Sure. You're going to have a guest on from... Um, New Bedford Light or whatever it's called. Yeah, Will Senna. Yeah. Uh, Will Senna. Yeah, I've heard the name before. And I've heard this talked on Tim's show about this issue of the fishermen. Yeah. One more time, it's the squeeze of the little guy by the big financial institution. That's exactly what Will reveals in his story, and it is it is really heartbreaking. Thanks, Chuck. I appreciate Thank the you. call. Okay. It is. It is I mean, you, you see all these profits coming in New Bedford, and then you see where they're, you know, you see who's getting them and who isn't. And it's really, like I said, it's really disheartening. All right. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention as well, um, city councilor from Ward 1 and chair of the uh, the, the fi finance committee, Brad Markey, he's going to be calling in. Uh, you know we're having our comments from the council uh, segment where we have uh, – it's one of the things that I was most excited about about this program is that we can get people calling in after events that happen in the New Bedford City Council and elsewhere. But we want to get – after meetings, have people call in 
and talk about what happened in those meetings. Uh, so city councilors in particular, definitely every full city council meeting, we're going to have someone call in. But after some uh, subcommittee meetings as well, well, we'll have them call in. And I spoke to Brad Markey today, and he is looking forward to calling in and uh, telling us what happened in the finance committee uh, meeting tonight, which is probably going on uh, right about now, but he's going to be calling in at 9 o'clock. So 508-996-0500. Keep calling, keep messaging on the app chat, and uh, I will be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris is out tonight. Hey, welcome back to the show. Uh, South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Uh, Chris is out for tonight. He will be back uh, tomorrow, uh, 508-996-0500. So you can get the program. We've got a... Uh, Good amount of callers that called in the last last few minutes. And, uh, you know, of course, you could message us on the app chat, the WBSM app. Again, if I, uh, if I like it, I'll read it, you know, and um, looking forward to hearing from you on that feature as well. Uh, so Wilson, the New Bedford Light, is going to be joining us. He did some work with uh, ProPublica uh, to expose um, some foreign... Uh, capitalization, private equities, um, what I'd categorize as exploitation of the, you know, the local um, fishing workforce. And I think you might too, uh, if you, if you read the article or you hear uh, Will has to say in the, uh, in the next hour, but, um, and I'll have Brad Markey at nine o'clock city Councilor Brad Markey is going to call in uh, our comments from the council segment where the city councilors react uh, to what's happened after the meeting and they give us an update. So, you know, sometimes you might have to wait till the next day or, or sometime after to see when the minutes are posted or whatever of what happened in a city council meeting. We're trying to make sure that you know uh, in real time how the meeting went uh, and if anything, there's anything you should know. So uh, 508-996-0500 is taking the program. There's actually a column I posted. Uh, well, someone posted. I sent it in. Someone posted it on WBSM and... Uh, you can check it out on WBSM.com or the WBSM app. It is about the state auditor's race, which I've, t- I've talked about quite a bit, I know. But it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting race. Uh, so uh, you basically have, you know, just a preview of it. You can get more details on WBSM.com. I, I give details on um, all the candidates in the race on both sides of the aisle. You know, the the way I see it is is this, is there are competitive Democratic primaries, except for governor, of course, because Maura Healy secured the nomination. There are competitive Democratic primaries. Uh, Attorney General uh, Quentin Palfrey secured the, the endorsement of the, of the Mass Dems. Andrew, Andrea Camp, Andrea Campbell is getting a lot of um, congressional and and um, and uh, local, state, and municipal endorsements as well, and uh, raising some. You know, they're both raising some money. Um, so. They're both very well qualified candidates. And Andrea Campbell worked as a counselor for Deval Patrick and was a New Bedford, I mean, a Boston city councilor, city council president. Quentin Palfrey worked uh, with uh, Attorney General Healy, actually, um, under Martha Coakley in the um, in the Coakley administration as uh, head of the um, healthcare division. So both really well qualified candidates. But when they emerge, no disrespect to uh, Jay McMahon, but when they emerge, they're likely going, they're very likely, you know, they're, they're the clear, the clear front runners, right? They're the clear front runners to win that office. Uh, governor, I think Maury Healy's the pretty clear front runner. I think she's going to walk in, walk right in, to be honest with you. 
the only, I think the only person that could beat Moore Healy is a Charlie is Charlie Baker himself, and Charlie Baker isn't running, so uh, she's gonna walk right in. Um, treasurer Deb Goldberg, she's not even getting a primary challenge. So the, the Bill Galvin and Tanisha Sullivan, that one is a little interesting to me. So Tanisha Sullivan got the endorsement of the mass the the mass Dems convention. That's not always indicative of who's going to win the primary because if you remember Josh Sakem won the mass Dems convention too, and we all know the um you know how his campaign ended after that. So, uh, but whoever wins that race again is going up against Ray, Ray, uh, Rayla Campbell, who is. One of the most objectionable people I've ever seen in politics in my life. And so she's the woman who who came down here and said she got attacked by Antifa in New Bedford. And the, then the video revealed that she actually started the fight with two like 19, 20 year old girls uh, at in a um, in a uh, in a plaza. So that race isn't competitive after the primary. But state auditor is competitive is a very competitive primary first of all probably the closest primary the polling the only polling data i saw had dempsey with a slight like two point lead uh dempsey won the convention but he won 53 47 so it wasn't a blowout decisive not a blowout uh they're both securing some pretty good endorsements uh dempsey of course has the endorsement of suzanne bump the uh, the current state auditor uh, but that's still a competitive primary with two uh, well-qualified candidates. I've had them both on on my old show, the Marcus Ferro Show. Looking forward to hopefully getting them both on again as well. Uh, but when they, whoever wins that primary, I think actually has a formidable challenge in the Republican race. Uh, and Anthony Amore. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I had Chris and, and Ken Pittman was, uh, uh, had stopped by to give Chris some Pop-Tarts. So he, he weighed in in the conversation a little bit. And uh, I think Anthony Amore, he presents as a Baker-esque type of Republican. He actually was endorsed by Baker. And to my knowledge, the only endorsement Baker's made of at least a statewide race uh, this cycle. And Baker's still a tremendously popular governor. And Anthony Amore also has a lot of Really, just a just a, a comprehensively like interesting person. His career, uh, just having a conversation with him. I talked to him uh, here on the air, and just a really interesting guy. He has auditing experience, so he's a really well qualified and likable candidate. So, I think whoever comes out of that race has a real challenge. I don't think it's I don't think it's a glide path to you know is a Democrat favored. I would say probably. But I don't think it's I don't think like the other races that it's a glide path to the office. So I wrote about that on WBSM.com. You can check it out. I think again, I think that's the quietly it's quietly the right race of the election cycle, uh, which is something you wouldn't expect from the auditors race is the one that's least talked about. And ballot fatigue's a real thing where people, you know, are filling out their ballot and they kind of just fill out whoever at the end or don't fill it out at all, which could actually play a role in, in whoever <laughs> wins that election, sadly enough. But um, it's, like I said, the race that nobody's really talking about, the least talked about office in the Commonwealth. And the auditor, what the state auditor does is they audit um, all of the 200 some odd state agencies in the Commonwealth and they try to look for deficiencies and fraud um, and uh, areas where, it, you know, it can be, well, deficiencies and fraud, basically. And Suzanne Bump has said, you know, over her uh, 12 years or so, 12 years as auditor, she secured $1.3 in savings by eliminating these deficiencies and fraud uh, in the um, in the Commonwealth uh, government. Now, they all have their certain 
and ideas of how that's going. And I don't get into necessarily their their platforms. They all have they all have in, very interesting platforms uh, for the race. Um, but I don't I don't really get into that. I just get into the general the general general qualifications and the um, and the potential closeness of the um, of that election. Okay, I'm going to take the last break of the hour five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred, and I'll be uh, I'll be right back. This is South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus Station. Hey, welcome back to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. Uh, Chris is out for the evening, but he will be back tomorrow. We'll be taking your calls at five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Good first hour. Great first hour, if I do say so myself. And we'll be joined by Will Senna of the New Bedford Light at 8 o'clock uh, on the other end of this uh, of the news break. So uh, he wrote a, a very well-researched and um, uh, revealing story about private equity and foreign equity and how it's uh, basically, um, I think, exploited the uh, the local fishing industry and reaped uh, many of the profits, uh, many of the profits of it. So looking forward to uh, hearing from him and talking about that. And if you have any questions or comments, you can take your calls at 508-996-0500. We'll also take messages on the WBSM app chat. Uh, and uh, looking forward to reading those uh, as well. So I uh, will see you guys on the other end of this news break. <laughs> 